This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in. I am Dana Pickley. I'm Adam Sass. And I'm Princess Weeks, and this is Horror is So Queer. It's so queer! The queer is. <laughs> and we are part of the Anatomy of a Scream podcast network, and you can check them out at anatomyofascream.wordpress.com for all things cool and spooky. And uh, this is our second episode, and this episode is entitled Lesbians and Vampires, the Chocolate and Peanut Butter of Horror Films. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. So let's, let's tackle the homoeroticism to blatant queerness of Hollywood's fascination with lesbian vampires. Let's go, uh, queer sexual agency as vampirism. (laughs) AKA my identity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what is, what is it? Okay, personally, for the two of you, I would love to know, like, what is, what is the, what is that chef's kiss about lesbian vampires? it's you know what it is i love it because it's just like i love vampires not they're not as good as witches but they're also really solid but because we know that the biting is penetration because we know that that is the subtext for it i just love seeing girls biting each other and i love all of these sort of um the tension that the deep sexual tension because vampires are sexy and it's just something about because they're being predatory and it's not supposed to be seen as romantic in that same way you get a lot of these very on the nose erotic moments between two women just like stroking each other's hair and like they'll be in bed together because gals can just do that and it's just like i see it i see all of you (laughs) and i see and i just it just and i love camp and i'm just rambling right now but it's just more like i like i love that vampire lesbian the genre despite it being rooted in a lot of the male gaze did provide avenues to show sort of like queer intimacy between two women it just sucks that that was not the goal it was just part of the titillation yeah i think like for me um lesbian vampires are all about like they just exude independence like they are just like completely like these self-possessed like sturdy characters who are just like they need literally nobody except food like people food like it is like they're they're like they're usually like they have their own place they are running their own game they have been for centuries and they are really unbothered by the rest of society do you think because they're such a combination of human but also monster that is enticing Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's, um, like, there's... Because that is sort of the thing where it's like, oh, they're just like us, only not. Exactly. And they have that same appeal of, like, being immortal, beautiful, and having that sort of, like, darkness to them that just kind of pulls you in. Um, and just the, the mystery of it all. It just... It hits all of the hot spots. Yeah, I think, like, also, like... Queerness with vampires is, um, it's just, 
Like it's it's like they were a they were a regular person until someone came by, seduced them, and now they must live apart from us. Kind of thing where it was like, you know, you know, like, oh, she was this good girl or oh, he was this good guy. Um and they were they were living a normal, you know, um normative life. And then, um, and then someone came along and then, you know, seduced them and bit them. And then now, now they must live, um, among the shadows, um, apart from the rest of society. And I think for like, especially for, you know, women and femmes, it's always great to see someone who can like be so elegant and still be powerful because you don't have to strip the femininity from a femme or female vampire in order to make them strong because they have these supernatural abilities there is no need for them to necessarily lean into the masculine they can just be these powerful gowned you know women and i think that's also really awesome that's so true because we've been we, i mean i was a friend of mine was talking about um some of our favorite like you know like really like powerful female characters and i was name checking a bunch of people that like they were like yeah, that's basically like they just cast um a, a you know a female actor in like a a male role. Like it was like you know like you know Ellen Ripley who was wonderful, but like you know that role was originally written to be a man and that sort of thing. But I think that's really really awesome that like and I hadn't thought of that that like yeah, like these lesbian vampires, these queer women vampires are powerful of their own right without needing to be like basically written as a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's take a trip to uh, 1971 to uh, to meet Vampiros Lesbos. <laughs> that title. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Wonder what that movie's about. Yeah. Right. The film is it was a Western German Spanish production and is directed by Jesus Franco. And is, is listed as a quote-unquote erotic film, because of course it is, right? right? Um, in it, a, a vampire named Nadine, which only makes me think like, Nadine, 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 I'm begging of you, please don't drink my blood. <laughs> Ooh, um, another countess, yeah. She lives on this beautiful island. And she falls for this mortal named Linda. You know. um, so they like they party, they swim, they scissor, they drink blood. Um, but afterwards, Linda loses her memory of the whole thing. But Nadine uses that you know built-in vampire thrall to try to bring Linda back to her little island to do it all over again, which is like fifty first dates, but like horrific, right? Um, so you can imagine what happens. Because apparently Nadine has done this multiple times. So there's like these half-crazed vamps running around this island that naturally, you know, must be dealt with. Um, this is definitely... I, I, I need all of you to go to YouTube and watch the first five minutes of this film because it, it is bananas crazy. Bananas, absolute, like, 70s music, like total nuts this movie i can't wait to i can't wait to jump in on this because like again like i i love a i love a movie that does not disappoint on the uh promise of the title because uh, the, the title promises like you know what it is but then also it promises this like really like wackadoo 
um, tone. Like, you're just like, oh, you're going to get it with full throttle 70s crap. Yeah. Like, they were like, we're done with the 60s. We're done with the 60s. Let's bring on the absolute insanity. Decadence. Yes. No, I looked up I looked up the director and the picture of him on Wikipedia is just like this tiny Spanish man just sitting on a chair and I'm just like, yes, you're the one who directed Vampos Lesbios. Like I need I, 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 I need to see your vision because not only did he direct it, he was he played a character named Mehmet in it, who um turns out kills Nadine the vampire. Uh, oh, okay. Well, well, well. <laughs> the vampire blood it thickens. I would uh, Okay, well that, that that's that that colors the the movie a little bit now. But uh yeah, that's weird. Yeah, the, these weird guys making these weird kill the lesbian movies. Um it's They need to unpack that. They need to go to therapy. They really need to go to therapy. They need to, this guy's probably no longer with us. He seemed old back in the 70s. So uh, definitely hope he's dealing with that uh, wherever he is. But like, why? Why are, okay, I know this is going to seem like the dumbest question ever asked, but why are men so obsessed with lesbian vampires? (laughs) I I literally can't imagine. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what would the reason be? Yeah. What was the reason? I mean, I just think that like they get to just like anything that has to deal with queerness, there is that voyeurism because even with men, I mean, if we go back to our previous episode, we talked about Hitchcock. It's like, why did you double down and put all this homoerotic subtext into your movies? You were afraid of it, but you still definitely treated the gays in that way. And I think with the lesbian vampires, it's them getting to see women, you know, touch and like bite on each other but they don't think of them as like people because you never get the feeling that they're invested in the eroticism of these women for like the sense of like their deep intimacy it's always just like uh you know let's just see these two girls keys (laughs) they're objects like they're not like people who are having a relationship in any of any kind right right they're just they're just objects to to put your fantasies on and then also and then there's this element of control because eventually they are killed by some man right yeah like i like i I don't think our director dude was like i i really want to make the the queer women of the world feel seen so i I want i'm doing this for the rep so let's 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 head on up to uh a little bit later in 1983 which the hunger the hunger became this iconic queer film um, directed by Tony Scott, weirdly enough, who would is more well known for directing things like Top Gun and Beverly Hills, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2. Like he was like a, yeah, a, a, like a really 80s, 90s movie guy. Brother of Ridley um, Scott. Like, so this is like the dude bro movie making guy like and and this movie is like so important to me i love the hunger so much oh i'm so glad i'm so glad so um if if you're listening and you're not familiar with the hunger um this is a movie where lesbians actually felt part of the story being told instead of simply objectified by it um it stars Catherine deneuve who plays miriam uh this ancient vamp who's in a long-term relation with david bowie's character john 
So not only do we have lesbians, we have David Bowie, right? Um, and then Susan Sarandon shows up uh, as Sarah, this doctor that specializes in uh, gerontology. And um, she's trying to help them get to the root of why John is suddenly aging, like aging super quickly. Um, right. Now, did I mention that Miriam has an attic full of desiccated but slightly alive corpses of her former lovers? I didn't. Who doesn't really? I mean, <laughs> that just sounds like a normal thing. Right. That right. sounds pretty like cool to me. Yeah, she's got these. She's got these like not quite dead corpses upstairs. And they're all, like, formal, former lovers because she herself is truly immortal. I think she's got this, like, Egyptian Ankh business amulet thing. Um, and then, like, her chosen one that she sires has, like, about a hundred or so years before they start to, like, deteriorate. Before that shelf life is over. <laughs> shelf life? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They start to curdle a little bit. And that's what's happening with Bowie. Right, so so David Bowie's character is like he's like basically skin and bones, and so um, Miriam kind of has to tuck him away in this attic. Uh, but Miriam, she needs a new person, right? So she zeroes in on Sarah, um, who uh, so they have this 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 sex scene, very flowy, white sheets, um, opera music, which is you know how all of us lesbians have sex. Um, but it's like this, it's this scene, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> they're like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, like a Dior, like eighties commercial. Like it's, it's like cologne. It's like, it's like perfume. Yeah. It's, it's. Honestly, that's how I want to, that's how I want to have sex from now on. It's like, someone put it, someone spray me with Dior and just pump the metal music so i can feel seen yeah it's just it's like it's like it's like lace curtains see you know making everything opaque billowing you know music cold it's very it's it's that cold blonde energy we were talking about before uh in the previous podcast it it, and it's just it's um it's delightful well so sarah naturally she gets bitten all of this right um and when she starts turning into a vampire she is pissed about it not not happy about this and she's the one that ends up turning the tide and tricking Miriam into drinking her blood uh, which forces her into this like crazy undead stuff and releases all the other undead lovers Um, so because it's quite a twist because both queer women end up alive of in some sorts of alive at the end Right. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're slowly getting our agency back for our queer women in these, as these movies progress. Yes. At the end, Sarah is, you know, she's now in the place that Miriam was. She's this powerful, uh, self-possessed person, and she has a box with Miriam tucked in it in her new apartment. How the sapphic tables turn. <laughs> There's there's a joke to be had in there somewhere about exes and you know how that all works out how you know that's where you you always want your ex to be in a box in your attic somewhere. So here you have this like almost tender situation with with Miriam and and Sarah, which lesbians went just bananas for. Queer women went bananas for this movie. Um, 
And something super interesting, this is a fact about uh, Catherine Deneuve. So there was a lesbian magazine that launched in the late 80s, and they took the name Deneuve. And so it was the only, like, glossy queer magazine, um, and they were super successful. They were having this great time, and Catherine Deneuve caught wind of it and sued them. Um, and they almost completely lost everything and then changed their name to Curve. So the Curve magazine you know now used to be Deneuve. Deneuve. Oh, my gosh. But Catherine Deneuve was all worried that people were going to associate her with lesbianism, which, I mean, we do. Wow. So, so, so she didn't even realize that that was a branding opportunity. <laughs> right? She missed it. She really missed out on that one. Yeah. So, because um, Deneuve would have just that would have spoken um, such volumes, right? Right, but no, she sued them and they, um, they, yeah, they almost lost their asses in that, but uh, they, they were able to work out something and change into what Curve Magazine is now. Um, but I always find super fascinating because, yeah, queer women of like a certain age are obsessed with Catherine Deneuve. That's so funny, like, it would just be like if there was like a, a like a gay guy news site right now that named itself Chalamet. Dear God. <laughs> it would just be called Peach, you know? <laughs> Cavill. Yeah. I mean, you have to admit they were a little, they were a little bold to go ahead and be like, let's call it Deneuve, which, like, if, if you, if you didn't know who Catherine Deneuve was, like, you wouldn't know how to say it. Like, so here's this magazine with, like, lesbians on the cover and you're like, Deneuve. You know, like, like who knew what this was, was, but, you know, certain lesbians. But yes, um, I always find it fascinating. That is, that is a pretty, that is a pretty gutsy move, but it's, it's, that's a very take charge lesbian. I can, I can tell. I was, I was like, that's good. You know, the type of person who was behind that. It was just like, yeah, well, we're just naming it that. And if she sues us, then, then there you go. Yeah. And you should check out, um, it's playing at a bunch of festivals now. Um, the movie that's a documentary about Curve Magazine is called Ahead of the Curve. It is a really, really excellent documentary about Franco, who was the original creator and publisher of Curve Magazine. Princess, do you have do you have any queer thoughts about The Hunger? I have to say, like, I've seen Hunger once. And so, like, I remember just really just feeling surprised that something could be so prolific while being so over the top and silly. Like, it just, to me, it's all the best things about campy, vampire films locked into one thing also like i i even though i'm not a, a lesbian of a certain age i also really love Catherine Deneuve, so i was just kind of like i was like oh my gosh and like of course young susan sarandon is nothing to sneeze at so it just it's a fun movie i definitely want to rewatch it again having had this conversation well we would be nowhere with lesbian vampires if it were not for sheridan la fanu's carmilla <laughs> so 1872 this predates uh bram stoker by the way which i said i just said like such a new yorker bram, bram stoker <laughs> um but yeah so so sheridan's la Fanu's, uh, novella carmilla very blatantly like queer in in carmilla's character uh but if you're not familiar with Car carmilla um this is, and it's interesting to me because when we're researching these films to talk about, so many of them have this connection or were inspired like straight up by Carmilla. Um, so who was Carmilla? 
she's a young, well, um, well, sorry, I should rephrase that. What's Carmilla about? It's about a young, wealthy, but lonely young woman named Laura, who longs for a friend. We have, lo we have longing. She longs for a friend, and along comes a carriage containing this mysterious young woman named Carmilla. Um, things happen, but lesbianizing in ensues. And, and, so, and we, we, Carmilla's real background and identity are, are slowly revealed. Um, carnage. Straight men get involved, ruining the party. And uh, Carmilla is vanquished, but Laura is never the same. So this, this short novella becomes the basis for so many films. And I know that uh, Princess is very interested in Carmilla. <laughs> yeah, as like a vampire nerd, I was like automatically like obsessed with uh, Carmilla. I've written many papers on it. Uh, and I just, I like you said, it's the root of so many shows, movies, characters, like, you know, even, you know, Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, she talks about Carmela being an inspiration because it is so much more about that sort of um, internal longing and loneliness. Um, even though it's not on our list of movies to talk about, there is The Moth Diaries, which became, like, a movie back in 2011, which is about, like, two schoolgirls and, like, a vampire comes and messes up their relationship. There are just so many things that, like, this is the root of. Even more so than Dracula, honestly. And then we've got the, the most recent incarnation of Carmilla, which was the popular web series and then the movie uh, that came out from there that actually took the story back um, from the people who wanted to kill Carmilla and gave her and Laura an actual complicated modern day love story. Um, it's sweet and sexy. There's consent. Both Laura and Carmilla get to be the heroes at one point or another, um, which was a really great way to use the source material to change it to actually embrace the queerness of the story. Yeah, it definitely seems to be like kind of like this is how you update um, something that has queer energy and is very popular amongst queers, but like in itself and its roots is problematic. And I will be uh, definitely embracing a lot of these themes when I do update uh, Rope for modern day. Yes. <laughs> I'm an unapologetic fan of Carmilla and I'm, I'm friends with Natasha uh, Nicholsonis who plays Carmilla in the series. But even before I knew her, on a personal level, like, this series to me was everything that I really wanted from a Carmilla adaptation, especially because, like, it gave the female characters so much agency, introduced such a whole spectrum of queer femme identities and just queer identities in general. It's like, to me, this is exactly what I want from, like, future vampire lesbos conversations and products. So there was a Lifetime movie, and... It's called Mother, May I Sleep with Danger. And it's actually the kind of a sequel to the original Mother, May I Sleep with Danger. But it is the vampire lesbian story by James Franco that no one asked for. Okay? Um, except for Lifetime, apparently. <laughs> Not a single person I asked can't for I can't believe they made a, a, a spinoff to this classic Lifetime piece. Of, like, Mother, May I Sleep with Danger is iconic. How dare they? I was, I'm offended. The best part is somehow um, Tori Spelling and James Franco end up on the promotional material for it. And they're not even, they're not even the leads. It's like, 
Ah, um, okay, so somehow th- this story goes from this lesbian vamp story into a focus on some guy who is mad that the lead isn't interested in him. Uh, so basically, Leah is a college student. She's um, Her mom is Tori Spelling, okay, who's super overprotective because of what happened when she was a young woman. Um, but when Leah meets Pearl, uh, it's love at first bite. Excuse the pun. Um, no, but seriously... <laughs> oh, but seriously, they fall for each other, and despite Pearl's uber-vamp group that wants Pearl to turn Leah... Um, Pearl doesn't want to bring Leah into this world. So then this guy named Bob gets involved. And uh, suddenly this group of vamps that used to hunt, hunt down like shitty abusive men gets taken over by Bob. Bob the vampire. Um, there's an uber vamp named Bob. Um, anyway, so Leah and Pearl end up together uh, for eternity because Pearl does end up biting Leah but to like protect her. And Bob gets control of this vampire game gang and continues to murder women. Like what what, what does this hell? have to do with the original lifetime thing? It has wow. nothing to do Just... with the original. <laughs> I I'm not a I'm not what you would call a Francophile, like a fran like a fan of James Franco's work. But I have to ask myself, like, who allowed him to do this? Like, why? 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 <laughs> You know, and, and, and it's not it's not that it's a bad movie, because the parts with Leah and Pearl are actually kind of nice. There's there's some great chemistry there. Um, but like how this is why men should not be making lesbian vampire movies, because why Bob the vampire ends up taking over the story. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was like, have we not learned from all the mistakes of the past and Vampiros Lesbos like? <laughs> We have not learned from Vampiros Lesbos at all. It, you know, we, we go we go back and forth. We, we, we find interesting good things when we, we go right back to square one with James Franco um, and his Bob-centric <laughs> lesbian vampire story. Well, if we want to talk about vampire lesbians, I think what's really even more interesting is kind of talking about how, like, how women in these vampire series gets treated because what I think is interesting is like besides the vampire lesbian we don't really get a lot of vampire women centric stories or when we do they're usually made to be inferior to the man like I'm thinking about like true blood which like you know Pam who we love queer icon but like you know she's completely emotionally like tied to a man or I think about um, just any vampire series. It's like, unless we get a lesbian-centric series, we're just kind of like agents of men in those in those genres. And it's really upsetting. Like, you have, like, the Dracula's Brides, and there's the three women, and it's all just very sexualized, but it's, it's um, like, to no end. And, you know, and True Blood had a lot of that. I mean, even, like, when they brought in um, you know, Lilith, like, that whole plotline was just so that, like, Bill could become this, like, god person. Um, I say this as somebody who did watch every single episode of True Blood up through the end, including the end, um, unfortunately. But, legend. Um, yeah, legend. Um, and they did, uh, and they killed Tara off screen, which is wild to me. That's why I never finished it. I was like, I can't. <laughs> I can't with y'all. 
that one of the most important people off screen. It, it, I, I don't know what the thought process that went into making that, but it was, um, it was some shit. Right. Well, interestingly um, enough, uh, Carmilla is actually directed by a guy, uh, uh, Spencer Maybe, but it's written, produced, uh, screenwritten, everything else by women. Yes, I totally forgot about that. I was confusing like all the like writer team with the director, but no, like, you're so right, you know, and, and I think that's such an important part of it, too. Like even with that collaboration, it's like, but there are queer women involved in the process right and multiple queer women um on screen too yeah i feel like you get the trouble when you've got like the guy director who's like being an auteur about it who's like this has been my passion project to tell this story and i'm gonna like just just picture the vampiros lesbos guy where he's just like and not only am i doing this movie um at the end i will be casting myself as the killer of the of the the slayer of the vampire like, there are some men that have done amazing work with queer women's stories. Like, I think Spencer did a terrific job with um, with Carmilla. Um, I think that um, uh, Todd Haynes did an amazing job with Carol. Um, uh, Terry Moore is a comic artist who has written amazing queer women's stories. So... Um, I don't mean to say in any way that, that men can't or men haven't done really good jobs with queer women's material. But like you're saying, Adam, is like when you're start when you start inserting yourself into the story, that's when it's like, OK, now, now it's just becoming this voyeuristic sort of situation. I mean, you always do need to when you're telling like a story, not, you know, like that outside of your of your experience, like you always do have to like really interrogate why you are the one telling it absolutely well we're coming we're coming to the end of this but i want to know why adam why are you gay for vamps gay for vamps um yeah it's just it's just something where it's like i like the um i like the you know we're immortal and we're above everybody else sort of thing it's, it's kind of one of those things where like you're, you're so growing up career you're so powerless and you know, you feel so out of society. And then, like, I like that vampire movies, like, help queer people fetishize their otherness a little bit to to a healthy degree, where you can just be like, yes, I'm outside of society and good for that. Love it. What about you, Princess? I agree. I think for me, you know, witches are first, but vampires are my number two because they are just so powerful and elegant. And I think that even though a lot of them meet very terrible ends, it's just, it's just a great to think about. It is just great to think about these powerful queer people getting to live forever, have elegant parties, have their own secret powerful societies, and, you know, thrive until some, you know, annoying cis person, cis het person comes and ruins their lives. Like, it's just like, it's like the great gay agenda made to life. It is. We just, we feed on straight society, unsuspectingly. <laughs> you know. But we give back so much, so I think it's fine. We're just taking our cut. The culture we give. We gave you the Indigo Girls. We gave you Elton John. We gave you, you know, I mean, we gave you a lot. Um, we're just taking a little bit back. Like, oh. considering how everyone talks about RuPaul Drags Race, it's like, you know, we've done our job. We can take our blood. Like, it's fun. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm gay for vamps because... 
my real foray into loving pop culture was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I also have really just loved so many vamps along the way, like Jessica from True Blood and um, Pam and the so many just cool, interesting, powerful women characters that have been vampires. And I, I'd really love to see more queer vamps with their own agency that, um, you know, that get to do what they want. I'm here for it. Um, all right. So we're, we're here at the end. Adam, where can people find you on the social medias? You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Sass. You can also purchase my uh, debut young adult novel, Surrender Your Sons, which is queer horror. If you love queer horror that is super empowering, go pick up Surrender Your Sons. It is about a group of queer teens trapped at a conversion therapy camp on a mysterious island, and they decide to revolt. Uh, so yeah, pick up that little bit of queer terror victory. And you can mostly find me on Twitter at Weeks Princess, W-E-E-K-E-S, and on my YouTube channel, Melina Pendulum, where I talk about pop culture, the intersections between race, queerness, gender, sexuality, all very light, light topics. <laughs> and you can find me at Dana Pickley, two C's, one L, um, both Instagram and Twitter, and my site, Queer Media Matters, where I actually wrote a little review about Adam's Fantastic um, horror YA book so check that out and thank you so much for tuning in um, until next time stay queer and stay spooky the anatomy of a scream pod squad <laughs>